for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Today's episode is brought to you by Goats365, my membership program for people who are living with, learning about, and loving goats 365 days a year. Basic members get access to six courses covering housing, fencing, parasites, nutrition, and health, as well as things like composting goat manure and the basics of starting a goat-based business. Premium members also have the opportunity to attend live online meetings via Zoom to talk about goats every month. Visit goats365.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Today is going to be a lot of fun as we talk about Toggenbergs, which are one of the less common breeds that is registered by the American Dairy Goat Association. And we're joined by Leslie Cardoza, who is the owner of Bar 20 Dairy Goats. And she is in California where she raises her goats for milk and showing. Welcome to today's episode, Leslie. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you because Toggenbergs are actually one of the goats I don't know a whole lot of because even back when my daughter still lived at home and we showed, we did not see a lot of Toggenbergs at our local shows. So it's going to be very educational for me today to um, hear more about the breed. So tell us a little bit about your history with goats and how you got started with Toggenbergs. I initially got goats to clear my property. We have 20 acres. It was really covered in brush and poison oak. And my first goats were a mix of Nubians and La Manchas. And then I needed to breed them. So I could not find a Nubian bug. And I found a Toggenberg buck. So I purchased the Toggenberg buck because it was better to breed the goats than not breed the goats. And my husband kind of gave me a bad time about him not being a Nubian. So I also purchased a doe, which was an experimental, looked like a Toggenberg, with the Toggenberg buck in 2003. And my daughter was going to be doing 4-H, so we found a breeder with Toggenbergs and purchased two Toggenberg doe kids the following year. And the reason I chose Toggenbergs is we did not have livestock guardian dogs. And I'm in the Sierra Nevada foothills, and we have lions and bears here. And we didn't lose any Toggenbergs, not a single Toggenberg. We took a bad beating on the Nubians, and we also had some boars. And we lost 21 goats in 14 days. So I just figured what I needed to do was stick with the Toggenbergs because they did not get themselves killed. Wow, that's amazing. Do you know why they weren't killed by the predators? The Toggenbergs are very quiet. If you've ever been around Nubians and boars, they're a lot more chatty. Okay. (laughs) And the Toggenbergs also, whenever we were having that problem at that time, they did not run down the mountain in a pack. They scattered every man for himself. Whereas the Nubians stuck together and it was easier for them to be taken out. We had a problem with, we actually had three mountain lions 
because we had the federal trapper here and went through all the correct routes and had depredation permits for it. So the line problem went away and I immediately went and got my first livestock guardian dog. Right. That's amazing. I had never thought about that quite that succinctly before. I know whenever I have a goat that's super talkative, I usually will say to them, what kind of a prey animal are you? Don't you know you're supposed to be quiet so that you don't attract predators? But I was always joking. And Nubians do have a reputation for being very chatty. And so it totally makes sense that they would attract the predators. Yes. And the Talkenbergs, because they're always the same way marked, they actually do blend in with the landscape. So they probably had an advantage there as well. Being a shade of brown with just the distinct white markings. Okay. And is there anything in particular about the Toggenberg milk that you really like? The Toggenberg milk, a lot of people think that it tastes funny because that's been passed through time that they have the goaty flavor and I would really like to say that no, they don't have the goaty flavor. I get asked for it all the time when somebody wants to buy a home milker, you know, just for themselves. And we usually let them do a taste test or whatever on the goat that they're looking at to buy. But the Toggenbergs can make quite a bit of milk for such a smaller breed. And they have a good amount of protein because you need the protein to bind with the fats for your cheese as well. So I would say they're, they're good for making cheese and we do drink the milk. What's the average butterfat for Toggenbergs and how does your herd compare with that? The average butterfat for Toggenbergs is probably around 3.2. And then what do your butterfats run? I have them anywhere from some that are in the 2.7, 2.8 range, all the way up to 3.5. With the Toggenbergs, it's not such a span between butterfat and protein, as in the difference between the 2%. Maybe it's a little closer together. Okay. Years ago, I knew somebody when I was first getting into goats who had gotten Toggenbergs specifically because they had the lowest butter fat and that's what they wanted. They said, you know, we don't like whole milk. We want milk with really low butter fat. And so that was why they got the Toggenbergs. Do people ever come to you for that reason? Looking for goats? On the butter fat portion, most people come to me looking for them on the volume. Okay. What kind of production do you get? By their second lactation, I would like them to be making over 3,000 pounds in a 305, 305 days. And for people who are maybe don't have goats yet and aren't familiar with how that comes out, like when you milk them in a day, how many quarts or gallons does that come out to on average? Of course, they're probably making around 12 pounds at their peak. So about six quarts a day. Okay. And just for anybody who is new, there is a curve. So goats start out fairly low, their production goes up the first couple months, and then it kind of levels off and starts to go down gradually. 
So that's why we, we talk about averages, but goats can peak considerably higher than the average. Like I know with my Nigerians, I've had goats that have peaked around six, six and a half pounds, which is three quarts, even though the breed average, you see a lot of people say like they give about a quart a day, but that's talking about like over the whole span of like a 10 month lactation. So how do you see that with Toggenberg's? At this point, I'm probably with the does that are freshened in February and we're now in November. I'm still around three quarts to a gallon a day. Okay. So that's a really great family milker for people. I have several goats that I've milked on through, even through their pregnancy and their next freshening. They didn't get a break because they don't want to quit. Oh my goodness. Interesting. So I've bred for persistency of lactation and I've been milking year round every day of the year since about 2012. And have you milked through without rebreeding from year to year? I've only had maybe two of those. They were bred and they still kitted. I milked them through their pregnancy. Right. I was wondering, because sometimes like a few years ago, we decided to just try breeding half of them each year and then milking each goat for two years without breeding in the middle. So they have kids, we milk them for two years and then they have kids again and then start over. Have you had goats that do that? There's only been two that I didn't rebreed. Okay. Hoggenbergers are pretty smart. And they can figure out how to escape and get to a bug. <laughs> they know how to open latches. I used to have a bug do that. Oh, I got does that are good. <laughs> yeah, I used to have a doe that was that would try to open the doorknob. She would try to turn the doorknob to the milking parlor with her mouth, which her mouth was wet, so she couldn't do it. But she knew exactly what she had to do. I have about 10 goats that know how to open and close the door. Wow. So yeah, goats are really smart, which is one of the things I love about them. They're brilliant. I've often said that if they just had thumbs, they could rule the world because sometimes the only thing that allows us to stay one step ahead of them is something like a carabiner clip, which they have not been able to figure out yet because they don't have thumbs. Um, the Toggenbergs know how to open those. Really? Oh my goodness. <laughs> or at least mine. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. So there is all kinds of research about how goats communicate and how they learn from each other. So it's may totally make sense because I've done studies where a goat learns how to do some kind of a puzzle and then they let other goats watch and they learn too. So you probably had one really smart goat and then the other goats saw them do it and just repeated that. I've had to move to collars to latch things. On my milking stands, I have to use a collar because they know how to open the latch to get out the head gates. So I have to wrap a collar around it and my pens too. Oh, wow. Okay. That is brilliant. Smart animals are wonderful, but they also keep us on our toes. <laughs> so you also, you're on milk test and you also show your goats. Why did you start milk testing? I started milk testing in 2010. First, 
thing I tried was a one-day milking competition. And I achieved getting them their stars on their pedigrees by that. And I was told that it would be easier if I just went on monthly tests. And if anybody was interested in monthly tests and going on DHIA, there is several groups out there that have people that can answer questions about where to start and what you need to do. When I did it initially, that didn't really exist. But when I was milking them in the machine, and it holds quite a bit, the belly pill, I use a surge milker. And milk test was a good way to realize who was really making all the milk because I could only fit about four goats into that belly pill. So okay, milk test was enlightening for who was really making all the milk versus maybe having a meteor udder. And it's been an invaluable tool because you get your butterfat percent, your protein percent, you can see if your butterfat is lower than your protein, meaning your goat would be inverted. And, you know, that would be a clue that something maybe not working digestively in them as it should. And you also get your somatic cell counts. So once a month, you'd be on milk test and you'll get a window into them of how they're doing with their somatic cell counts. And if it goes up high, you should probably get a, sna- a milk sample to a diagnostic lab and see if you've got a problem going on. And I've had either experimentals or Toggenbergs or both on the top 10 every year since 2010. And uh, I use the milk test to f- find who my high performers are. And then I kept sons from them and bred them to my other high performers trying to make better higher performers no exactly that is definitely the way to do it that was one of the things I loved about milk test is that it it gave me so much good information about production and butter fat and helped me to make a lot of breeding decisions and I think you just summed that up really nicely there about being able to pick bucks from does that were really good producers. So breed your high producing does sons to daughters from other high producers to get even more high producers. Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly what I've done. And now I'm in buck hoarding status, having nine Toggenberg bucks at the moment. But all of my adult Toggenberg bucks over a year old, are all from a top 10 dam and possibly and probably grand dams as well with a linear appraisal score over 90 and a permanent champion, either a GCH or superior genetics permanent champion SGCH. That's really excellent. And I think one of the benefits with the Toggenbergs is that Maybe they're a little boring in their looks, being always some sort of shade of brown with just correct white markings that they should have. That you're not going to have one that maybe has spots or different markings. So you're going to end up keeping ones that are actually structurally correct. 
That's a really great point. It is very tempting when you have goats that can be all different colors and patterns to be tempted to keep a goat simply because of the color or the pattern. And I think that's especially true because they tend to attract a lot of pet breeders. And so we're starting to see that with Nigerians, that the quality of the breed overall can really start to suffer because people are so attracted to the flashy appearance. Yeah. Maybe it's a little good to be boring, like a Togenberg. <laughs> Although they do come in different shades of brown. I do have some that are quite dark chocolate and that can be flashy. So Togenbergs are one of the more medium sized breeds. Can you talk a little bit about the size like, and like how it compares to like Alpines or Sonnens? So a Togenberg is one of the shorter breeds, although we have varying heights. I don't have any that are at the minimum height, but they are a medium breed. So I'd say an Alpine probably towers over a Tog around six inches more. They're a bigger goat. The Alpine's going to weigh more. The Togenberg is smaller, usually in the 135-pound range, although I have some does that are nearing the 200-pound range. And how big are the Togenberg bucks? Um, my largest buck is probably only about 230 to 240 pounds. Okay. And are they pretty easy to handle? Yeah, I do pull all kids at birth and... I heat treat the colostrum or, you know, if I've milked somebody through, I might have to use a powdered colostrum alternative and then we bottle feed and then move to a lamb bar. So all of my bucks have been raised that way. So I don't have any problem handling any of the bucks here. And for breeding them, I don't do any pen breeding. So Everybody is brought out of their pens and put on a lead to breed. Okay. If somebody is not sure which breed they want, what would you say is like one of the top reasons to consider Toggenbergs? After managing a commercial goat dairy, the Toggenbergs were very hardy and the percent of them that had any medical problems or died was the least for the Toggenbergs. They're a very hardy breed. They can withstand and do quite well at over 110 degrees since I get heats that high here. And they actually like the snow, so they do very well in the snow. And some of goats from my herd have been purchased and they're in multiple states across the country in the south to the very cold north all the way over to the East Coast, and they're actually performing very well. The feeds that can be purchased in those parts of the country, it's not necessarily the same as what we could get here in California or other parts. Like, for instance, in the South, they don't get alfalfa, and they're performing very well down there on just a grass hay. Like, for my milkers, I don't even feed like a milking ration. I only use dry cob. Wow, that's really impressive. There are a lot of goats whose production would just kind of fall apart if you fed them like that. I'm happy to say that they've been performing very well. 
in multiple areas of the country. I've actually exported goats to Bermuda and they're performing there as well. Wow, that is awesome. This has been such an interesting conversation today. If anybody wants to get in touch with you online, where can they find you? I have a Facebook page. It's called Bar 20 Dairy Goats. If you're going to type it in, it would be B-A-R-X-X Dairy Goats. And I can be reached through the Facebook forum page. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit ForTheLoveOfGoats.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LoveGoatsPodcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.